Hello, and welcome to the Business of Authority. I'm Jonathan Stark. And I'm Rochelle Moulton. And today we're going to talk about knowing your audience. Yes. <laughs> so the, the kicking off point here is that I've got this app called Masterclass that has all these super famous people who come in and give talks about how they do their thing. And there's all sorts of musicians and artists and uh, business leaders and all these things. But the one I'm most interested in is the writers. And there are, you know, half a dozen really famous writers. And last week, a new one came out from R.L. Stein, who, if you don't know, if you don't have kids or you're older than 30, you probably have never heard of him. But he's writ- he wrote a series of books, or I guess he's still writing them, called Goosebumps, which are horror novels for kids who are seven to 12 years old. That's a niche. Yes. Very specific. <laughs> he, he was called the training bra for Stephen King readers. <laughs> by ah, like USA Today. Okay. He's, like the, he's like Stephen King for kids. And there's all sorts of tips and tricks and all these things and where, you know, where do ideas come from and how does he, what's his process and all that stuff that you'd expect to get from something like that. But across 28 videos or 30 videos that are, you know, 10, 20 minutes long. So it's a few hours of watching and listening. I don't think a video goes by where he doesn't talk about knowing his audience and making sure that he's using language that's appropriate for the audience, like vocabulary, but also imagery that's appropriate for the audience and understanding kids five years ago are different than kids today, or even kids from two weeks ago and being able to write in a way that's going to connect with them so that he can achieve his goal, which is to get more kids reading. Like his, his overall sort of mission with writing in general is to get more kids reading and off of their phones and off of the video games and off of social media and all that. So if he wants to achieve that, he needs to keep them turning pages. And like, if he wrote like George R. R. Martin, he would fail. Kids wouldn't read his books. That wouldn't, that wouldn't work. And I love this parallel between an author writing for a group of people who he is absolutely not. I mean, he's probably, he's surely in his sixties, uh, apologies, if not. <laughs> but you know, he's not seven to 12, that's for sure. So he's writing for people who are very, very different than he is. And I love the parallel between that and running a service business, a consultancy, a small firm, uh, even a you know soloist, whatever you do, almost for sure, your clients are not also that. They're probably selling pizzas or sneakers or, or, or whatever. They're not like you. And if you want to be effective in your mission, whatever that is, whatever your big idea is or your purpose or why you even bother getting out of bed in the morning to do this service that you do, if you don't translate what you do into their language, it's going to be a lot less effective. So anyway, that's the inspiration for this particular chat. And yeah. Yeah. And the other thing I liked when we were talking about this before the show is you mentioned that Judy Bloom had done a similar masterclass. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. And in yes. both cases, they were very clear about why they write their books. I mean, there was no second guessing. It's Boom. No, no, they had very clear answers. R.L. Stein was like, I just want to get kids reading. And uh, Judy Bloom was, uh, her exact quote, I think was, uh, she writes to help kids feel more normal, you know, not feel like, you know, everybody's weird. And so you can read these books and be like, oh, other people are weird, just like me. And 
having that focus on the audience is I wouldn't know how to write without that. So I, you know, I write every day on my mailing list and, and a lot more besides, and I wouldn't know what words to choose if I didn't have a really clear picture of who it was that I was talking to, because how would I, you have to, you have to put things in terms that people are going to, that are going to resonate, that are going to connect, going to click. Uh, if you want to achieve something, if you're just, if you're just like, you know, writing pretty sentences because you just, you're impressing yourself, then <laughs> that, you know what I mean? That's not going to fly. In fact, uh, there's a story, there's a hilarious story. Do you know, you've ever heard of Ken Follett? Yes, I've read a lot of his books. Okay, so he was talking to a, uh, uh, the name was not shared, but an artsy, a writer's writer. And they were having a conversation and the the writer's writer was saying how he doesn't think about his audience at all. He writes for an audience of one himself. He wants, you know, to just uh, further the, the the art form. And Ken Follett said to him, and he said, he said to him, um, that's why you're a great writer and I'm rich. (laughs) (laughs) There you go. Love it. I'm obsessed with this focus on the audience. I it's, it's almost without fail, something that can be improved with everybody. I almost everybody I work with. Some people finally get it, but, but a lot of people, just think about their skills. They think about what their capabilities are. They're very much thinking about themselves and sort of an employee resume type mindset and not what they can do for their clients. And when I say do, I mean transform. What transformation can they make in their clients using those skills? But the client doesn't care what skills you use. The client wants the transformation. So focusing on the client and figuring out what the transformation is makes it a lot easier to deliver the result. (laughs) I can almost hear the listener saying, okay, but I don't know who my audience is yet. The starting point is pick an audience, right? And then you can adjust as you go because people, this is the beauty, especially if you're writing every day or every week is people will tell you what moves them and what doesn't. And you can also see it if you're selling your services to a list, for example, you'll see because people will reach out and say, tell me more about that. I need help. I have this problem. Maybe you can help me. That's why I love having a mailing list because of the the magic nature of email where you can broadcast, but then they can reply privately and, and you get a lot of, you can tell when you hit a home run because you just, your inbox fills up and you get lots of questions. You can tell when you touch a nerve. And you don't have to have a list of thousands. You know, you can start with, it could be 50, it could be 25 even. As long as you start with this idea of this picture in your head of who your audience is. In fact, Jonathan, maybe we should tuck the client avatar uh, exercise again under this episode. Because that's a way to, to just sit down with sort of pen and paper and get clear on who your client is. And, and that applies to your audience. I, mean, I think we're in this episode, we're going to use client and audience kind of interchangeably. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I'm actually going through an exercise right now with the, with a cohort in the pricing seminar where we're talking about this concept of doing a sales safari in a watering hole, which is a concept from someone. What? Named Amy, Amy, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's terminology from someone named Amy Hoy, who's a, a friend. And the idea is if you want to know what your clients are thinking or you want or you're trying to pick a niche or whatever, go online and find where they're talking. Maybe you've got three or four ideas for places, but you go on this safari to these watering holes 
online. And it's amazing. It's amazing what you find. One of the things that makes it really easy for people who are saying to me, I don't know what to write, whether it's on a a sales page, an opt-in form, an email list, a website, whenever they're saying, I don't know what to write, I'm always going to be like, well, do you know who you're writing for? And they're probably going to say no, because it's really easy. Like nobody gets speaker's block. Like when you're talking to someone, you know who you're talking to, you're getting cues from them about what they're understanding, what they're not understanding, if you need to simplify your language, or if you're you're being too simple and it's they're acting patronized, you can get more, more uh, high level. So you're getting all this feedback as you're talking. So it's easy to keep going because you, you can kind of find your way into the right kind of language. But when you're just sitting down and you have just this blank picture, you know, there's like, it's like in front of an empty audience and there's just chairs looking at you. Like, what do you say? (laughs) You don't know. There's nothing to say. So that's what it's like writing for your website if you don't know who you're talking to. So the the advice that I'm giving to folks who are just getting their feet wet with this is once you find a watering hole where the or perhaps a prospective type of client that you'd like to help is hanging out in. Look for questions, search for things like does anybody or I need help with or driving me, you know, emotional language like crazy or or awesome or nightmare or whatever. Find interesting things or pains or anything like that and start dropping answer bombs on them. So if somebody asks you a question and they've given you a little bit of backstory, again, you're not going to have writer's block because you're writing exactly for that person. And even if it requires a little bit of back and forth, like in a conversation, you're going to have a lot better chance of helping that person because it's a particular person. And if you keep doing that and say, let's say you find a watering hole that's just full of clients that you'd like to help, prospective clients, and you're just answering questions for them for a couple of weeks, after a while, you're going to be like, oh, if I use this word, they get it. If I use this other more technical word that makes sense to me or is more specific, then they don't get it. And you start to you start to understand them and learn how to talk to them in a way that gets your message across. So you're not just broadcasting information to them that is kind of bouncing off of them because it, it can't find a way in. You figured out how to get a way in and get your message across from your head into their head instead of it just bouncing off their face. Well, the other thing I like about that approach is that if, you, if they're presenting problems, right, on the site, then you almost have, if you think about it as blog posts, you almost have three blog posts for every answer you give. There's the problem itself and how do you solve that problem? Then there's, well, what's the situation that would get someone into that problem? So there's sort of the, like the pre-problem and then there's the post-problem. Okay, you solve that problem. So now what do you do next? Because you know, this is always a continuum. Mm-hmm. So I yeah. feel like for every every answer you give, there's probably three pieces of content you could create, whether it's a, you know, a podcast or a video or, or a blog post or article of some kind, you, every single time. And if you do that enough times, you wind up with some really good cornerstone content because you've got something that's tactical, probably. How do I solve this problem? Something that's strategic, what do, how did I get into this? Was there something I could do differently so this doesn't happen again? And then great, I've solved that. What strategic or tactical issue do I take on next? Yep. Yeah, that's great. That's, I never thought of it like that. That's awesome. Oh yeah. We're always looking for content ideas. Yeah. So it's <laughs> daily emailers. We need to. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh. Yeah. So that brings up 
a concept that we've actually touched on a little bit here, but like the watering hole thing where you're answering questions for a specific person and you might have to have some back and forth. Really what you're doing is you're, you're having conversations in a way that is pretty not, I don't want to say scalable, but you know, it's, it's a lot easier and quicker and more efficient than say going to get coffee with people or like doing meetups, but you can certainly do that too. When I work with someone who's just a new freelancer, or maybe they're working at a job and they're thinking about going solo and they're not even, they just like, oh, I just kind of want to side hustle and start to build something on the side while I'm still have the security of a full-time job. And what should I do? What can I do to just maybe start making a couple grand, you know, on the side? So not oh, a- Oh, yes. They yes. need to meet people. Exactly. Live and, and in person, see the whites of their eyes so you know what you're taking on. Exactly. Yeah. Have more conversations. I was talking to someone yesterday, sort of in this boat a uh, little bit, and we didn't come out with a clear direction, like a like a position or any kind of marketing direction, a, a little bit, but it was really hypothetical. And I said, honestly, what I would do is I would reach out to the network of people who you know, your inner circle, close friends, family, just everyone you know, make a list of a couple dozen people at least, and just say, hey, does anybody know a business owner. I want to talk to business owners about their problem. I'm a, I'm a web person or digital transfer. You know, it's like someone who's really smart about the web. So they could do all sorts of different things for different kinds of people. But I was like, you need to be talking to business owners and start understanding the way they think and the kinds of things that you could do for them, because there's probably some things that you could do that would be very easy for you, easier than even what he was planning on selling. Um, very simple for him to do that would be really valuable or really hard for these uh, business owners to do on their own and just be just have a complete open mind total blank slate and just meet more people yes and ask a lot of questions because it part of that is it's uncovering the gold and somebody will say something and you might assume that they mean a certain thing, but when you ask some follow-up questions, you find something else. I mean, sometimes it's a rabbit hole, but a lot of times it's just pure gold. Yeah, it can be, right? Yeah, they will tell you what they need. mm -hmm. The in-person thing, or even if you set up phone calls to do it, is really, really good. But if that strikes fear in your heart, then I would say, well, maybe you shouldn't be in the service business. Yes. I was going to say, rethink this career. If, if you got to do it, well, let's put it this way. It may strike fear in your heart, but you have to do it anyway. If you can't bring yourself to do it anyway, yeah, rethink leaving the salary job. Right. Um, but you can certainly dip your toe in by Googling around. Like who who is looking for help? Reddit is like a gold mine of that sort of thing. There's so many communities there, Twitter hashtags, Instagram hashtags, uh, Facebook, LinkedIn, all, all of these places, they're just communities. I mean, I, I don't know how anybody did marketing before the internet. It's, <laughs> it's like so easy now. You just like, you know, you whip out a little Google foo and you're like, bang, okay, here's what I'm, here's like a gold mine. Uh, and you so may you, find some local networks with things like, you know, Chamber of Commerce or that kind of stuff that, mm-hmm. you know, it, where it's a little easier to slice and dice if you're locally focused to start with. Yep. Yeah. Meetup.com. Same thing. You can find yeah. people that are, I mean, another place you can look is just in, if your audience or an audience that you're considering helping reads a lot of the same books, 
you can go into the comments on Goodreads or Amazon and, and, you know, like, oh, everybody, everybody who I work with has read like Lean Startup, let's say. Well, interesting. Okay. And that's kind of in your area or, um, or Design Sprints or some book that is pretty much a Bible for anybody that's in your space and cares about what you do. Go look at the comments. There's probably 2,000, 3,000 comments on those, on any book like that. And you can go through and say like, and, and see where people are like, this, this changed my life, this particular thing. And you're going to, you're going to get all this language around the transformation that this book, uh, provided for them, which is probably going to translate into other people who are like that. So if, you know, if you had like a, a productized service business where you ran design sprints for people, you didn't even have to come up with a framework. Like Jake Knapp came up with it. Like, here you go. Google validated it. It works. And you just want to do that. Then, you could come up with a lot of, uh, a lot of information, um, in terms of understanding your audience, marketing language, and all the language that they use by just reading through the comments on that book. The other thing that just occurred to me too, is you can do things like Twitter chats, whether you host it or, you know, in my case, I've been a guest of one. I haven't really wanted to host a Twitter chat that just felt like too much, <laughs> too, too much work to do. But when you get into someone else's community, because a Twitter chat host is going to have that, it's a really great way because it's interactive. It's not like you're getting up on a podium and speaking. They'll, they might have a series of questions ahead of time, but then when you see all the, all the reactions and you can look at them afterwards, you may not be able to see them all when they go by really fast in, uh, in real time, but it's a way to really understand a community and how they operate and, and what they care about, what, what problems they're trying to solve. Mm, absolutely. Whether they're digital, whether they are text-based or audio or video or interactive or real-time or not real-time, like asynchronous, it boils down to, to getting to know them. And how do you do that? It's through conversation. Like That's how you get to know people. If you do that in service of a mission, because I don't want to lose that focus, but there's a, you know, in both in the case of both of these writers, it was like the mission was get kids reading or help kids feel more normal. If that's the mission and you're constantly in contact with the folks in the audience, you're going to find ways, you know, you've got a strategy. It's like a direction to go. So you're going to be looking for clues that will help you get into that, in, in that direction uh, more and more effectively. Well, I think the other piece too is deciding in addition to the mission is what slice of this audience are you looking to help? So you might start with a big overarching mission and then you start to get feedback and you, you find when you have that, that where you haven't targeted the person as much, you've targeted the idea. Then you start to get a lot of differing opinions and viewpoints. And that's the sign that you have to niche down that you have to pick a portion of that audience to really serve because you can't serve them all. Mm -hmm. You've got to pick one. Yep. Yeah. I've for the longest for years and years, I've been focused on software developers and over time I've attracted other people to my list, especially that are designers and copywriters and photographers and illustrators and lawyers and accountants and other people who bill by the hour. It's probably 50-50. It's probably 50% software developers and 50% other stuff, like a, a mix of other things. And over time, I'm starting to branch out more uh, intentionally into other areas where, you know, like photographers. I've been on a couple of photography podcasts recently. And I've gotten feedback from those shows that it was helpful, but I can feel that 
like the examples don't come to mind. It's tougher to, to feel like I'm hitting a home run, uh, kind of stumbling with the language of their industry. But here's the point is that for me to be effective, uh, I need, I need that language. Like I need to figure out like, you know, what words do they use? What types of photography are there? Who are the famous people? Who are the heroes in that space that they look up to that I can use as examples and say like, you know, this person or that person or this kind of photography is different than that kind of photography the way I can in the software space. Cause in so, you know, I've been doing software for forever, 20 years, maybe. So it's like, yeah, I just know it inside out. We were talking about the author of a book that's probably 30 years old the other day with a software developer. Like my bench is very deep there. I'm like intentionally branching out to other types of businesses, but I'm not just, I'm not like making my language more abstract so that it applies globally or generally to photographers and software developers. I'm, I'm finding the specific language that photographers understand and it's a different you know, it's a different vocabulary. It's just different. Yeah, but let's let's just point out something for the, the listeners that you were able to do that because you focus so heavily on software developers and then hourly billing is nuts, right? And so you pulled in those people from your message. So you started narrow and then you're expanding. So the key is, you know, when you're first starting, it's easy to start with just the message because you're afraid to pick an audience. Jonathan wasn't afraid to do that. So yeah, so it, it kind of depends on which end of the spectrum you're at. But but I think the end result is the same, is that you have to figure out what your audience, how they speak, what what language they use, the problems they face. And, and they're different with different audiences. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up because I I couldn't have I feel like I'm using a bottom up approach. I couldn't have done a top down approach. Like like everybody in the world who bills by the hour needs to read this book. Like that just wouldn't I I wouldn't I just it's hard to imagine that working. Not as a starting point. No. Not as a starting point, right? But I could imagine I always talk about campfire marketing, like this little this little fire and I started like a pretty good blaze in the a good campfire, a big, not quite a bonfire, but a big fire in the software space. So it's like, okay, I've got that going. I can throw these big logs on it. It doesn't need constant attention. So let me look over here. I'm getting these, like, these people are kind of like coming to me and saying like, oh, I know I'm not a software developer, but could you help me with blah, blah, blah. They so it was saw very, the very flames. Organic. Yeah, they was, saw the flames and yeah, they, they wanted to attracted. get their hands warm. <laughs> exactly. Well, thank you for extending the metaphor. <laughs> and so they were attracted to it. But I still, I have to do this work to understand them. Well, I've never been a photographer. I've certainly never, even not even an amateur photographer, never mind run a photography business. But knowing what it feels like when it feels right with software developers and like how, how it can say things that click with them, I know what I'm looking for. I kind of have like a Mad Libs thing, like, okay, I need a couple of heroes that they all look up to. I need to know who the current people are there. I need to know the context. I need to understand this group of people. And, you know, the same way if I went someplace, you know, I, I one time gave a, a speech in Tokyo, nobody spoke English. So like, I can't just sit there and speak English and expect that my message is going to get across. I have to learn their language, or in this case, I had a translator, but it needs to be translated into a language that the audience is going to understand. Otherwise, you're just making noises up there. It's tempting, like you said, it's tempting to skip the part where you pick the audience and just talk 
or write or record videos that are just best practices and generic information, which is already all over the internet anyway, and instead do the emotional labor of picking someone, understanding their language, and delivering it to them in a way that you can actually communicate the message. So the message gets across to the other person. People are like, oh, why would I, why would I create these videos? This information's already all over the internet. Who would pay for it? And I'm like, well, if you pick an audience and you translate it into their language, they're going to love you. Yes. Because no one else is doing that work. In the words you used, emotional labor, let's not let that fly by because that's what happens. That's the difference in the people who do this really well and the people who don't. Because you're still spending probably the same amount of time writing and producing your content. But believe me, it is emotional labor getting into somebody else's head. You have to put your own thoughts, your own ego aside and be totally interested and invested and fascinated with their problems, what their day looks like, what their world looks like. That's It's that emotional labor that you have to invest to make this come out so fabulous on the other side for both parties. Right. Yeah. One of the things R.L. Stein talked about was that he devotes a significant portion of his schedule to giving talks at schools and going to book signings and conventions and those sorts of things where seven to 12 year old kids are going to be so that he can stay connected with them. So he can continue to understand them as that cohort changes over time. That segment of that age group changes as technology and culture changes. And he knows that if he doesn't, because that's a big commitment, you know, you're getting on planes and that's a lot. For, for a person who theoretically could sit in their New York apartment and just write books to get out and go visit and get to know these kids, like that's not, I can't be, I know it's not easy. I know it's not. And it seems like something that you would maybe want to skip, but he clearly values that, you know, he sees that that's valuable to achieving his mission, continuing to sell books, continuing to get kids to read. You know, he needs to stay in touch with them. Well, it's also a new way to think about a book tour. When you watch book tours like on on TV or in the movies, for example, it's all about the author and having their people around them and, and signing books. And this is reversing that. It's saying it's really about the audience. It's a fact-finding mission. And yes, you know, you want to sign books, you want to make your your fans happy, your readers happy, but it's a fact-finding mission. And the truth is, everything we do as independent business people can be a fact-finding mission if we let it. Right. Yeah. Keep your antennas up and, and be receptive to the signals or clues of how it's, you know, it's about communicating at the end of the day. I, I love this angle. I think it's a Seth Godin thing. Uh, if you think of your leads, instead of as leads, if you think of them as students, and you're constantly just trying to help them with your free stuff, whatever that might be, whether it's an email list or a podcast, and you're just always trying to help them with your free stuff, then a portion of that, a fraction of that group, that audience is going to self-select and they're going to come and, and, you know, do one of your paid things. And you never have to feel like a slimy used car salesman. You're constantly just trying to connect with these folks get your message across to them and you have stuff for sale and people who want to accelerate their process along the curve can just give you some money and you can do some private thing with them or you can go give them a speech or whatever the the thing might be. And you can kind of fund the mission. You can monetize the expertise and the connection so that you can keep doing it. 
but that's like sort of like a side effect of understanding these people and trying to communicate with them successfully. Yeah, I'm, I'm thinking back to our interview with Jill Conrath, where she talked about she tried to find how much could she give away for free um, because she'd make her money on the big speeches. I doubt she made a ton of money on her books, even though they're really good sellers. But the bulk of her money comes from consulting and speaking. So it's the more she gives away, the more in demand she is for consulting and speaking. It's, it's a model that has definitely been proven in the consulting space. But it's, it, it, it almost requires a, a leap of faith in the beginning, because if you're, you know, if you've been in a corporate job and you're, you know, you're, you're working on your skill, you may not have experienced the, the joys that come from giving of your knowledge and talent and what can come back to you. Once you can get that ball rolling, it's really addictive. You know, I've seen it happen over and over again where people are like, oh, I need to do more content marketing. Should I do it on YouTube or LinkedIn? And I'm like, ah, well, who are you marketing to? Are they on YouTube or are they on LinkedIn? Like, who are you trying to connect with? Well, I don't know. Well, okay, I can't answer it then. If it's 18 to 24-year-old males, probably YouTube. If it's people who wear suits, it's probably LinkedIn. But I mean, (laughs) you know, if you, it's pretty common that someone will ask me a question. They'll say, oh, you know, is this is this good or is this a good direction to go or how would you do this? Or it's like, well, I don't know. Who are you trying to reach? What's your mission? If you can't answer those two questions, it's really hard to give any advice other than general best practices stuff like, you know, be clear, not clever. And in general, just being you focused, not me focused is, is it's just general advice that it's not going to do anything for you though. It's kind of tactical. And there's a decision that needs to be made that's at the strategic level about who you're going to go try and help. And then everything becomes really easy. It's like, oh, all the decisions kind of fall into place. Like, oh, these tactics aren't going to work, but these tactics probably will uh, because I, because we know, like, because we can find these people online. They're already grouped together naturally. And you can just, you know, I don't want to say spy on them, but you can, you can just listen, you know, like someone at a, at a cocktail party, just like hanging out, soaking it in. And it becomes it makes everything so much easier. Well, I think knowing your audience, it tells you where to go to find them, but you also have to let go of any sort of pre-existing limitations you have in your own mind. I mean, I I, I could probably count on I probably run out of fingers and toes if I counted the the people who came to me and said, "Well, I'll do anything except Twitter." And, you know, and these are people who are really smart. They have successful corporate consulting businesses, and they're just trying to figure out how to keep that growing by something beyond, you know, referrals. And I'm thinking in particular of a, a few people that are in the, the organizational development space and leadership. And I said, listen, you've got to be on Twitter. And not only is all your competition there, so you can kind of see what everybody's doing, but all the media is there. Your clients are there. It's like you have to be there. You have to go listen to the conversations so you know what's happening. And then, you know, eventually, i.e. really quickly, you start participating in those conversations to share your point of view, the transformation, all of that. I mean, it's like you just can't say, no, I'm not going to do X if that's your watering hole. Right. You got you to do it. Right. Yeah, it's like pick somebody else then. Yeah, exactly. If you don't want to be on Twitter, find somebody who lives on LinkedIn or find a group who lives on LinkedIn. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Do, do you think that we've hammered it in hard enough? Or 
Well, that's a good question. I'm sure someone will tell us whether we did or, or not. It was funny when we were talking about this episode, we realized that we had not recorded uh, we, we had not used the word audience in any title so far. And I think that's because we tend to talk about clients and prospects. And so I would just encourage you to think about the, your audience as being both that. It's clients, it's prospective clients, it's the people that you want to transform with your big idea. It's a big audience, it's a small audience, but it's your audience. Right. And as Rochelle said earlier, they're... Uh a bunch of episodes where we talk about niching down, pigeonholing yourself, picking a market. So, you know, you can go back through the, the copious back catalog of TBOA <laughs> episodes and, and we don't need to sort of rehash that here, but you know, there, but if you go back, you'll find that there are ways to, you know, sort of like tactics that you can use to try and figure out what might be some good candidates for you to, you know, like, who do I really care about? Well, the specialization episode that we did a couple of weeks ago, there was five different ways to specialize. And it wasn't about your skills. It wasn't about specializing in your skills. It was, it was about specializing in helping a particular group and how you might define those groups. And there were five different ways that you could define those groups. So that would probably be the next best place to go. Yeah, especially because the last one we really talked about psychographics, kind of once you get past, you know, my audience is this, does this kind of work, comes from this kind of a background, is this gender or this age or has this title, you start to think about really how people think. And the psychographics are what really will help you with your content development as you think about, you know, are your, are your people optimists or are they pessimists? Do they have big problems or are they trying to achieve big things? And you start to, to slice and dice that. And the client avatar exercise that we'll link to under here will also give you just a worksheet way to, to work that through. So you can get much more clear on who your audience is, you know, pretty quickly. It's, it, it doesn't have to be rocket science. It's about, you know, your big idea and who you really want to serve. Right. Yep. And if you, if you don't have that, it just makes everything so much easier if you do have it. So it's worth, it's worth spending some time on, even if you're just going to pick one for, to get started. Sometimes I try to de-risk it by calling it a campaign. So let, imagine you're going to do a campaign at a particular group, particular target market for six months. And it, it, during that time, you're just going to focus on those folks in, in whatever marketing you're doing. And then, you know, six months goes by and you're like, <laughs> you're not going to want to, you're not going to want to switch back to like being everything for everyone. You'd be like, oh, this is awesome. I know exactly what to say. Yeah. Yeah. If, it, yeah, it's a great way. I like, I like the way you said that to de-risk it. When you're worried about it, just think of it as I'm just going to try this for a little while. I did that with my daily writing. I mean, I, I refused to put the emails up on my website because I just didn't want to commit to doing every day forever. I didn't. And eventually I realized, yes, I'm going to keep doing this, ne you know, never say forever, but I'm going to keep doing this for the foreseeable future. So yeah, I want to commit to it. I'm not going to stop. So whatever you have to tell yourself to get started, tell yourself that, and then you can always switch directions. In fact, you probably will switch direction at some point. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. There's always going to be course corrections and that sort of thing. Yeah, that's natural. Cool. All right. Well, that's that's probably good enough for now. I'm Those done. Folks, folks can, on, <laughs> can let us know on, on Twitter how it worked out because we're both there. Uh, cool. All right. Well, that's it for this week. I'm Jonathan Stark. 
And I'm Rochelle Moulton. And we hope you join us again next time for the Business of Authority. Bye. Bye Bye-bye.